You're listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Today I want to talk about probably the most asked about thing in a marriage crisis, and that is separation. Many people tell me about the separation. They're trying to avoid them. They're trying to deal with the separation, and they're always asking, what do I do? Uh, This is one of the reasons I've covered it a couple of times. If you haven't found my material on separation, I do have a podcast that gives some guidelines, a couple of podcasts on separation, but one that gives guidelines and a blog post about how you set up things in a separation so that you can move forward. Now, the easiest way to find that is to go to my blog. If you're not on it already, there are links in the show notes of, of this podcast. But, you know, if you're not there, you're somewhere else, remember to go to savethemarriagepodcast.com and just do a search for separation and you'll find the podcast. You'll also find uh, the notes about that and, and figure out how you set up the rules of separation. So I've got some of that. But today I wanted to go a bit further into how you survive a separation. I have a couple of of assumptions about that. And first is that you're probably not the one who wants the separation. If you're listening to a Save the Marriage podcast, you're probably the one who wants to save a marriage. And if you've heard much of my material, you probably know that I am not a big fan of separation. I'm not a big fan of having a separation uh, for a couple of reasons. One is because many times it it doesn't get you anywhere you want to be. And two is it ends up being a very destructive process. And so today I want to talk about why, three reasons, specific reasons, I don't like separation. Then I want to tell you something about, about what I prefer. And then I want to talk some about the traps and the tasks that are necessary in a separation. So there are built-in assumptions that I have, and one is that I have watched many separations over the years, and uh, often a separation is uh, by one person. One person wants to start that separation. Often the other person doesn't want it, but finally agrees to it. And part of what's happened in our culture is we've, we've created this kind of culture where separation is the expectation when there's a marital problem. And yet separation has been proven to be pretty detrimental to the relationship. It tends to uh, kind of quicken the process of things falling apart. As you know, one of my beliefs is that a marriage is based in connection, which brings up my first reason I don't like a separation. It's an increase in the disconnection. Usually it's a geographic disconnection, but it's also an emotional disconnection. Now, often what has happened is the person feels like they haven't been able to get the space they needed. Maybe your spouse isn't happy with things, or maybe you're not either, and you've decided that you needed some space. Maybe both of you decided that, maybe your spouse decided that, and you're trying to find emotional space. When emotional space isn't achieved, then physical space is the next step. Someone decides to remove themselves, not just emotionally, but physically, from that situation. And that's where we begin to watch the problems unravel. And remember that for me, the lifeblood of a relationship is connection. I mean, that's how you got to the place where you got married. 
you know, at some point you were completely disconnected because you didn't know each other. I mean, I don't know how far back you have to go, but um, and I've met people who had to go all the way back to kindergarten or even preschool before they got to the place where they didn't know their spouse. But at some point you didn't know your spouse and then you met him and there was a spark. There was some interest there. And so you began talking, and at some point, that talking was some emotional connection. Maybe you started touching, and so at that point, there was physical connection. And maybe you started sharing your hopes and your dreams and aspirations, and suddenly there is this spiritual connection. And suddenly, you're, you're connecting on those three different levels, and the connection begins to grow, and it begins to, to broaden and, and becomes deeper for you. And you decide at some point to, to spend the rest of your life with this person, and that's the promise you make in a marriage because of that feeling of connection. There is also a process of disconnection. And there are steps in that, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, about how that disconnection uh, starts with uh, the challenges along the way, and when they are not addressed, leads to disconnection and disdain even. And along the way, in the best of relationships, you learn to maintain. You may not be able to always be increasing the connection, but at least you learn to maintain the connection. And then when you get into trouble, the disconnection begins to eat up the relationship. And that's why I'm so concerned about an increase in, in the disconnection that comes with the separation. But what compounds that is my second thing I don't like about separation, and that is the fact that there are often fuzzy rules. In other words, you don't go into a separation having talked about how you're going to uh, treat each other, how you're going to deal with issues, and how you're going to move forward. And so the fuzzy rules or lack of rules entirely begin to sabotage what's going on. You begin to have doubts of each other and you begin to uh, be concerned about each other. And, and in that process, we're going to get to one of those traps in just a minute of chasing that comes out of that. But the fuzzy rules get you into trouble. That's why I spent a podcast, and another blog post talking about how you set up the separation if you want it to be towards the good of your relationship. Again, go to savethemarriagepodcast.com, do a search for separation, or just check out the show notes and you'll find the links down there. But fuzzy rules tends to be one of the dangers, one of the things I don't like about a separation. And the third thing I don't like about separation is that separation is often a dress rehearsal for divorce. Think about that. You actually are going to a place where you are practicing out how it would be to be divorced. You have separate households that you set up. You have separate parenting time that you set up. You have separate bills and separate responsibilities. And, and you're managing everything on your own. You're practicing being divorced. And so it's a dress rehearsal for many people of divorce. For many people, it's just an intermediary step. In fact, many people in, in decide that. They've already decided for a divorce. And so they first opt for a separation to get themselves out of the house. So we try to avoid separation in every way we can. And so what, what I prefer, first of all, is deciding to work on things. That's always my first choice. Let's work on things. Let's get to the place where we're dealing with the issues. And one of the reasons that I talk about working on things is if you have kids, you have issues you have to resolve no matter what happens to your marriage. So you might as well work on the things and get beyond them and figure out what's on the other side of that. So there's always a reason to decide to work on things together. But if that doesn't work, 
and you're still finding yourself in conflict, I suggest an in-house separation, which means you're still under the same roof. You haven't created a separate household. You haven't had to change the parenting styles. Um, You might have to decide how you're going to interact differently and have rules of that, but you're not breaking things out. You're not changing how you have to pay for things or the parenting issues or lots of other pieces that become a dress rehearsal for divorce, but you create the emotional space, perhaps even physical space. So I always opt for an in-house separation with clear lines of how you give each other space, how that's going to take place. Those are, that's kind of the clear rules. But I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to make the rules of an in-house separation than to get the rules of an out-of-the-house separation. So my preference is always that in-house separation, which hopefully gives you some space so that you decide to work on things and resolve those issues. But sometimes it's impossible to avoid a separation. You have a spouse that says, you know what? I don't care. I'm getting separated. Don't care what you think. At that point, the separation being inevitable and unavoidable, it brings up some traps that you need to be aware of. The first trap is chasing, as I've already mentioned. Many times people have discovered that they've been chasing their spouse for years and that their, their spouse runs away faster, the faster they chase. And so sometimes when they're working on the relationship and they're still in the same house, they can kind of figure out how to stop that. But then they separate and suddenly they start madly chasing. I've watched people who are constantly going over to their spouse's apartment or house or hotel or wherever they're staying uh, and uh, kind of hang out there or, or try to hang out there or they go by their spouse's place of business or they keep running by the park where they run or their exercise gym or you know they keep driving by and they keep looking around and they're trying to check up on them and they're also chasing them. And in the process, The spouse goes, I'm still not getting the space I need. I've got to create more distance. So trap number one is chasing because the more you chase, the more likely it is that a spouse will have to create more distance to feel safe. Space is a big issue in this process. I've talked about emotional space. I have training on emotional space for my VIP members because of that. It's so important to understand emotional space. But chasing is what happens when we're pulled out of that. The second trap is uh, playing that rule of no contact. You may be familiar with this rule. It's one of those uh, things you you hear about on the internet all the time about the no contact rule. The no contact rule, depending on who you're reading, is a month of zero contact, like no phone calls, no text, no being in each other's presence, or even three months. And the expectation is somehow that's going to turn it around. It lives on the fact, on this belief of the saying, a uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. If you're falling for that, please don't. That is another trap. In fact, in one of my other podcasts, I talk about how the no contact rule is crap. That's what I think about it. It is a horrible plan. How can you move towards a connected relationship by completely disconnecting from the other person? It doesn't work. The reason that people decide to follow it is because it feels like relief. You don't have to think about things. You don't have to worry about the games. You don't have to process what's going on with you. You don't have to learn and grow. You just disconnect. And in the process, pretty much guarantee the outcome. Now, I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but a very high level of people fail on the no contact rule. I know because I hear about it all the time, how they did a month of no contact, and then their spouse, for whatever reason, 
was completely unavailable. And I'm thinking, well, of course, because they thought you were out. Three months, even worse. And so one of the dangers, one of the traps that people fall into in a separation is deciding to go no contact. The third trap is almost the opposite and is leveraging. Leveraging, trying to find some way of forcing a spouse, and it's often around children or finances or some practicality where you try to leverage the person and make them in such pain, practical pain. You keep the kids away from them or you withhold uh, money or withhold help as a way of trying to force them back into the house. The leveraging also backfires. Those are three backfiring traps that you need to remember. No chasing and don't do no contact and do not do leveraging of those the children, the finances, and other things. Which leads us to what are the tasks of separation. So the task of a separation, I think there are tasks for the individual and for the couple. And let me be very clear that while I'm saying the couple, this is a discussion between the two of you. But when it's individual, guess what? Your spouse may not sign up to take on the task of the individual. That doesn't mean you don't. So couple tasks in a separation. First one is a a clarification of expectations, rules, and roles. I believe if you're going to go forward with separation, you need to sit down and be clear about what the expectations are of that separation. Make an agreement about these expectations. Again, I've talked many times about how I don't like expectations. I much more like agreements. But the expectations are what you already have in your head that need to come out in agreements with the spouse. And so you clarify what the expectations are. What are you expecting out of the separation? What do you want out of the separation? What are you hoping for that will come out of the separation? What are the rules of it? How will you engage with each other? How do you sit down and make sure that things keep moving forward as a household, even though there are now two households, how it moves together as a whole family? How do you expect that? And, and the roles. Sometimes people don't know who's going to take care of the, the house now, who's going to take care of the yard now, who's going to take care of you know whatever. And so it's an important thing to talk about the expectations, the rules, and the roles of the separation. That, to me, is number one to ask before you move forward with the separation. It's before the person moves out. The problem is, once you try to have these discussions after the fact, usually the bull's already out of the pen. You know, you've already opened Pandora's box, and and trying to cram everything back in just doesn't work. It's kind of like squeezing a toothpaste in and trying to figure out how to get it back in. Much better to put the cap on before you squeeze if you want to keep it in there. The second uh, task, I believe, is regular contact. Regular contact to keep up with the household process. In other words, you decide to have a meeting a week. I think that's best. A week, uh, a meeting a week, maybe even just half an hour. It's not date night. This isn't about trying to be romantic with each other. This is about the practical business of family life where you sit down and you discuss two very important topics. The first one is what's the schedule? So much anger and resentment comes up in uh, separation because the schedule hasn't been clarified. Maybe someone expects to have the kids. Maybe the other person expects uh, you know, to have help with the kids. And suddenly, when that's not going, we're in trouble. And so my number one place, you sit down each week and have a discussion about the scheduling and secondarily the finances. I guarantee you that a separation is going to change the finances and how they run in a household. If for no other reason than there are now two households, 
that are pulling from the same resources before. And so to be able to sit down and discuss any issues with finances helps both people lessen their anxiety. Both people have more clarity and understanding of what's going on. So that meeting can be about scheduling and finances. And the third one is more about the relationship. Is there something that needs to happen in the relationship at that point? This is not the time to attack and this is not the time to convince. This is just a time to say, hey, how are we doing? You know, is there anything I need to be doing that would be helpful for you in this process? And by the way, the answer to that, if, if you're asking that, it's not about let's get back together at that point, right? You can have a time frame, and I believe you should always have a time frame for renegotiating the separation. That's always important to go in because that makes both people feel a little more comfortable with what's going on. But this is a time to just problem solve. You know, do you want to start a date night? Do you want to start a time to just get together, to drop by, to, to begin to treat each other like a couple again? That's an important part of the process. Which then leads us to the individual tasks of separation. And those individual tasks, I have three of them, self-care, self-improvement, and self-awareness. If your spouse is not ready to take those on, don't be discouraged. Don't be trying to force it on them. Just accept the fact that you are going to take on each of these tasks. So self-care. When you are separated, there is often an extra layer of stress that can haunt you. And so I suggest that those are the times when you really need to step into extreme self-care. To be careful about your diet, your sleep, and your exercise. I've talked about those on other podcasts, but you know the diet, the danger of diet is that many times when we're under stress, we start eating junk. We start eating high carbs, and our body uh, gets out of rhythm, and we stopped eating the good foods or need to start eating good foods either way. And our diet is so important in feeding our energy level. It's stoking that fire. It's keeping us going. It's keeping us nourished. And so many people either gain weight or lose weight during a separation because of the stress. They're either stress eating or stress not eating. The importance is making sure you attend to that to make sure you're getting the nourishment you need. The same with sleep. Sometimes people, when they are a bit stressed, will oversleep, and sometimes they undersleep. And the important thing is still trying to get that seven to nine hours a day, you know, kind of that magic number of eight hours a day of of sleep. Making sure that you're staying constant with your routine so that that can happen, and then to get some exercise, because exercise is one way that our body gets rid of that extra stress. It burns off the adrenaline that our body throws in when we're under chronic stress, and at its very best, separations tend to be chronic stress for the person who doesn't want it. So be sure that you attend to those three pieces, your diet, your sleep, and your exercise to make sure you're doing what you can. I have podcasts on my Thrivology podcast. If you go to thrivologypodcast.com and just do a search for thrive, Thriving Body, you'll find lots of stuff on how to really be particular about those three areas. Then stepping into self-improvement to make sure that you're continuing to learn things. Maybe you take some new courses or pick up a new hobby Maybe you try to learn a few things because when you bring energy into your life, you have more energy to bring into the relationship. Lots of research shows that the healthiest of relationships have both energy in the relationship and they bring it from the outside. They have outside interests that they bring that energy into their life and share it in their relationship. And this is a good time to say, hey, you know what? I've really neglected that. Maybe go back to an old hobby. Maybe pick up a new hobby. 
maybe uh, decide to take a, a new course, whether it's for credit or not, that's something that's going to be a challenge for you that's also going to be a distraction for you so that you're moving in a healthy direction where not everything is about the separation. So you have a chance to learn and grow while this is going on. And I also put under self-improvement, making sure you have a support system. Now, I'm not talking about rallying your friends around you on how bad the separation is, but having some people that give you an outlet of connection, safe outlet of connection, because one of my self-improvement things is that during a separation, you do not entertain a dating relationship. You do not entertain uh, a, a relationship that, that breaks the boundaries of your marriage, regardless of what your spouse is or has done is doing, has done, your rules are that you will uh, watch the boundaries of your relationship. That's one of the key points for me in, in marriage. The other piece is that you don't overly share with your support system. So this isn't the place where you gather all your friends and tell them what a rotten spouse you have with this separation. You may find one person that you uh, share with, but when you're building your social network, it's so that you have social ties, that you have a place to feel and belong, that you have a community around you. That's so important during the time of separation. And the third task for an individual is self-awareness. To be careful about your anxiety, to learn to manage your anxiety. If you find that anxiety coming back, again, my Thrivology podcast, I've got several on anxiety. Just go to thrivologypodcast.com and do a search on anxiety, and you'll find uh, some ways of dealing with that anxiety in natural ways. Not medication, not uh, illegal substances, not legal substances like alcohol or other things that tend to also affect your capacity of thinking and processing and and actually leave you on the downside. So part of that self-awareness is dealing with your anxiety in healthy ways. Another piece of that self-awareness is being aware of when you get into your chasing phase. Most people have some way that they chase if they are the one who wants to save the relationship and to to watch that dynamic and learn from that dynamic and be clear about that. And the other self-awareness is to recognize the effect of abandonment on you. All of us have some fear of abandonment. I mean, that's built into us. We have these two fears that talk about the fear of abandonment and the fear of intimacy. Often in the middle of a separation, whoever is deciding to leave is responding to the fear of intimacy. Things are too close, too tight. And so they decide to get away from that. Often the person who's left has that fear of abandonment. They, do, they feel like they have been left behind and, and don't have their bases anymore. And so part of the task for you, if you're the one who's been left, is to feel that place of abandonment and decide it's not truly abandonment. It feels like abandonment. That doesn't make it abandonment. That's the trigger that gets in there. That's the fear that comes in there. And you need to work on that because that fear of abandonment will lead you to chase, which will lead the other person to have higher levels of fear of intimacy. And around and around that uh, gerbil wheel, we go faster and faster and faster until it goes spinning off. Okay, the biggest piece to understand is that, that separation is tough, It's to be avoided if possible, and if not, to walk through those various tasks so that you come out on the other end as healthy as you can as an individual and as healthy as the relationship can be on the backside. If you need help with that, if you don't have my system, find the Save the Marriage system at savethemarriage.com. If you've got the system and you need more help, then you might want to try out the VIP virtual coaching program or 
find a coach. We have coaches on staff that can help you. I do a limited amount of coaching. You can check that out by going to savethemarriage.com slash coaching and find out more about those programs. That's savethemarriage.com slash coaching. The biggest thing is don't let the separation feel like the end. It's not where you want to be, but it's not where it has to end. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.